Hi, everyone. It is another week and another episode of Consenting Adults. Last week, I did an interview for Stuttering John. Remember him from The Howard Stern Show? John Melendez from The Tonight Show? And man, he asked some personal questions, and he told me some sex stories that made me cover my ears. I had to earmuff myself. So if you didn't see that and would like to, you can uh, look him up on YouTube. Now, John has some haters and some trolls out there, which is totally normal for anyone in the public eye. That happens. And I want to actually welcome them as, as new fans of this podcast. One of them in particular tweeted this to me, and it sounds awful. But Breadline Brennan said, Hi, Lena. I just saw you on Stuttering John's terrible podcast. He sucks and is a total backstabbing liar, but you are amazing. So beautiful and fun. You have a new fan here. Wow. Thank you. I thought John was nice. He uh, was very funny. We had a good conversation. Um, Also, there's another person who created an account on Twitter just to troll Stuttering John. He goes by John's Bony Arms. And he is also now following us and listening to Consenting Adults. So welcome. And you know what I really love is the fact that they can't stand Stuttering John, but they kind of don't lump me in that hatred that they have for this man. Um, And they're now followers, so that's awesome. And it's also what this episode is about. It's about judging people, particularly in religious circles. My guest today, I would call a man of God, a, a lover and follower of Jesus Christ, who was at one point in his life addicted to porn. And the reason why I'm talking to him is because, trust me, there are people in your church, if you go to church or temple, whatever, who are taking part in lifestyle activities. You just don't know about it. And the reason you don't know about it is because they're keeping it a secret. And the reason they're keeping it a secret is because it's frowned upon by the religious community. The polyamory issue uh, and the open and swinging issue is that's a new frontier. You know, the Christian church, honestly, is still just beginning to wrestle with the the uh, homosexuality uh, and trans uh, conversations. So let's get to it. The conversations you're about to hear are intended for mature audiences. If adult themes are offensive to you, well, you might want to pull out now. So dirty talk, so yeah. sex talk. Yeah, it, it started off as dirty talk. I was actually like very excited to see my partner with somebody else. She looked at me and said, so you want to have sex with other people, that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and you find it a turn on to hear about what he did. Yeah, and then it's like, I want to come home and get it the way she got it. Does he know you have a boyfriend? Oh, yes. This is Consenting Adults with Lena Wynn. We've got a special guest today. Not that the rest aren't special, but he's special in the fact that he may be the only guest on consenting adults to not consent to any of the activities that we talk about on this show. Is he celibate? No. Is he a prude? No. He's just Christian. That was a joke, Keith. That's a joke. (laughs) Thank you. I say that because I know he's a good sport. Keith Giles is the best-selling author of the Jesus Un series. Uh, you've got to check him out. We'll we'll learn where we can find him a little bit later. Uh, he's been on CNN, USA Today, BuzzFeed. Uh, he is an ordained minister through the Southern Baptist Church. However, he is no longer Baptist. Keith, what are you these days? Wow. Um, I think I just would say... 
I'm somebody who really is fascinated with Jesus and um, I'm trying to kind of put his teachings into practice as much as I can in my daily life. So now you used to live in Southern California. What did you do here and where are you now? Right. Yeah. So about 25 years I lived in, my wife and I lived in Southern California. And um, what one of the things we did most significantly there was we started a little house church where uh, people just met in homes and we took all the offering because we had no expenses and this was our, our passion. So we were able to give 100% of all of the offerings we received to help families in need living in uh, Orange County in Santa Ana, California, and also worked with the homeless. Um, like there was, a, there was a tent city around Anaheim Stadium, uh, about a few blocks from my house that we uh, also served there. And it was just awesome. I loved it. It was really a wonderful experience. In fact, that's how Keith and I uh, know each other, or at least I know of Keith, was um, seeing the great works that he was doing, uh, and I really admired that. I also admire the fact that you are a Christian, you, I would say, know your stuff, and yet you approach it in such a way that non-Christians or atheists or people who love to fight um, can respect and can, uh, I would say you're not judgmental. I try not to be. I yeah. love that about you. Thank you. Even right. though you don't agree with, with a lot of the stuff that's out there and a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this show. So let's get right to it, shall we? Let's do it. Um, I talk to a lot of people on this show who tell me they were Christian or now atheist or They've kind of moved away from the church because they are now living this alternative lifestyle. It makes them happy, but it doesn't agree with the church's teachings. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to talk to you about that. One of the podcasts that you did talked about pornography and mm -hmm. your personal experience with it. Can you tell us about that first? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'll just say before I get into it, like my experience under, I understand is not everybody else's experience, but, um, yeah, when I was in like high school and college years, I did struggle with pornography and for me, it became an addiction. So I would say in the same way, but for example, you know, I, I don't have any problem with alcohol. I drink alcohol, um, and I don't have an addiction to it. And I, you know, it's not something that's ruined my life. And so, um, for me to have a couple of drinks, uh, a glass of wine, something now and again, um, is no big deal because for me, it's not a weakness. It's not an addiction, but for me, pornography was, and I say it that way because I understand that as I'm telling you that I struggle with pornography and it's something that I have, uh, that kind of relationship with, I understand others don't. And so I'm not saying, well, because Keith has a problem with, with an addiction to pornography, therefore the rest of us, uh, should avoid it. Uh, I'm just saying that I personally did have a struggle with it. It was something in my life that I had to break free from. Um, and so I guess because of that, it does uh, affect the way I look at it and the way I, I respond to pornography. Mm -hmm. and, and what are your thoughts on pornography? I think my concern would be as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus, is the pornography that we're consuming, whether that's, uh, I guess nowadays it's mostly online, uh, are the people that we're watching in, the, in this pornography, are they being trafficked? Are they being oppressed in some way? In other words, is there... I'm taking pleasure from something, um, but maybe at the expense of someone else's suffering. That's one of the, my major concerns is because a lot of the pornography industry, uh, there is that kind of a thing going on. And so for me, that's one of the most, that's probably the, one of the first things that, that concerns me about it. I'm sure that you know, and even for people who don't watch pornography, know that there is a lot out there. And more and more these days, a lot of it is 
like amateur stuff. People are yep. posting stuff about themselves out there. Okay. Yeah. So let's for a moment put aside the issue of are the people you're watching on the screen doing this willingly? Right. Okay. So let's push that aside for one moment. Okay. And talk about the pleasure people get from watching pornography and Christianity. Now, I'm not a Christian. I have always had great interest in world religions, studied it, mm-hmm. um, was actually not surprised to find that there are many similarities in, in all of the religions, because I think that at the at the root of it, almost all religions teach you to do good, right? Right, right. Uh, and I love that about religion. Now, when you get into all the other stuff, the organized religion and all the can'ts and don'ts and nevers, um, that's right. where I start having a problem with it. But is pornography allowed as a Christian? Are you allowed to enjoy pornography? Well, kind of like what you just said, I'm also someone who um, I, I, I tend to shy away from being someone who says, here's a new law to follow, right? Here's a new rule and you must follow this rule. Because I, I don't think that's really what Jesus is about. Uh, but I do think what it is about, and I feel like what Jesus specifically uh, encourages us to do, is to ask questions about ourselves and to, uh, to ask ourselves certain questions about, like, is this something that's healthy? Is this something that's good? Is this something that is uh, harmful to another person? Pornography, and I think with many other things, we could this could apply to many other things, we all have to individually make up our own minds. In other words, we have to decide, okay, I've spent time thinking about this. Maybe I prayed about this. I've, you know, I've. I have to be open to the possibility that maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I'm not, uh, my assumptions aren't correct. I'm willing to be uh, convinced one way or the other. So I think we have to start from that place. And then I think if we honestly engage with these questions, and again, we all have to do this individually, we ultimately have to arrive at a place where we feel like, okay, uh, this is what I feel like uh, is true and correct. This is what I think is, is healthy and good. And, and because I've thought it through and considered it, I'm going to do this. Personally, I think that's actually a good thing. I think that's actually what we're encouraged to do. If we are human beings who are concerned about spirituality, we're concerned about ethics and morality and all these things that are wrapped up in religion and theology and things like that, then I think we have to be willing to wrestle with those kinds of questions. And so I don't think there's a, I'm sorry, Lena, if you're looking, we're going to go like, here's what you should do. And here's why I'm not, I, I really don't feel comfortable doing that. But I, but I would say I would encourage everyone to take these kinds of questions uh, seriously and to prayerfully consider, you know, again, is this something that's good for myself? Is this something that's good for others? And can I practice this or use this or consume this in a way that isn't harmful to me and isn't harmful to someone else? Okay. So then let's take that argument and see if we can apply it to things that I think are widely frowned upon by the church. And when I say the church, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about any specific religion or any specific church, but, you know, we're just talking about, let's just say, Christianity. Right. Let's try to apply that to these other things like polyamory. Right. Or open marriages or swinging. I mean, all of these alternative lifestyles that on face value go against Christian values. Yes. Now, here, this is actually probably one of the most fun parts of the conversation. You're correct. Christianity, uh, the sort of with a capital C, uh, and the church with a capital C, uh, does officially have a position that they frown upon things like polyamory and polygamy and uh, these sorts of things. What I find fascinating, though, is that 
they really have no biblical or scriptural support for that view. Christians in general are all about what it says in the Bible, always want to say, we want a biblical this and a biblical that. And, you know, is this biblical? Is that's not biblical? I think the challenge is, is that if you go and look at the Bible and what the Bible has, how the Bible defines marriage or sexual relationships, uh, but even specifically marriage. I mean, what you see is uh, these are things that God does not frown upon, does not condemn. And that's like marrying a woman and then marrying that woman's sister or having, you know, just dozens or even hundreds of wives at a time, you know, or even incests. I mean, th- th- these things are, are happen in the Bible and are not condemned by God. God doesn't say thou shalt not. And so um, I find it kind how, of... How, wait a second. Wait a second. Isn't there something about coveting thy neighbor's wife? Oh, yeah, well, there you go. Of course, yes. I shouldn't want my neighbor's wife. But if I want to have 10 wives, or again, if I want to marry a whole family uh, of the same sisters, that's totally fine because those things happened. And But what if the neighbor's okay with it? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess it doesn't talk about that, does it? It doesn't say, you know, if your wife wants to do that. Um, well, but so so then, uh, as with everything, it's a matter of interpretation, right? Of course, and that, and again, that's people have made careers uh, out of uh, arguing. Well, what does the scripture say? But what does it mean? And what was the original intent? And blah blah blah. I mean, but you also have to understand that a lot of the things like you and I are going to talk about right now. These are these are concepts that ancient peoples. We're talking very primitive and ancient peoples, six thousand years ago, four thousand years ago, uh, for the old covenant scriptures, or two thousand years ago for the Christian New Testament scriptures. Uh, we have to put ourselves in the mindset of someone living at that time period, and and you and I are are asking questions they were not asking. We are experiencing things in our culture and society they were not experiencing, and things that were not even in their minds. And so that that's part of what makes it very challenging and difficult for us today, you know, four to six, four, you know, four to two thousand years later, to try and use these writings and these ways of thinking and seeing uh, and apply them to us today. Like, that's part of what makes this very very difficult. Okay, so really, you're talking about Christianity getting with the times. Would that be fair to say? I think so, yes. Uh, and because, because you know, even on issues like slavery, the Christian church, unfortunately, has a pretty bad track record for um, reconciling what's, what the scriptures have to say about these topics versus what, in modern times, we could say, you know what, we've changed our minds on this issue, and maybe we need to adjust uh, what we think is good or, or acceptable. Okay, so then let's talk about homosexuality. Now, there is a topic that, of course, people have been, you know, fighting about that for a very long time. I think we've made great strides um, in the Christian community as far as affirming homosexuals, wouldn't you say? As compared to the past, yes. Uh, Recently, we've done, I think, very, very well, but we've got a very long way to go. Um, Of course. I've talked to guests on this show who, as soon as I ask them if they're religious, the first thing they do is laugh. Right. <laughs> and, and there's always, you know, always a story behind that laugh. A lot of these people grew up in a Catholic household, mm-hmm. okay, and felt bad, felt like something was wrong with them, felt dirty, felt whatever because of these personal tendencies that they have that didn't agree with with what they were taught. Right. So then now they've moved away from religion. So right. we've gone this far, but you're right, we have to, a lot further to go. Um, 
with Christianity and LGBTQ um, issues. Yes. But when we're talking about stuff like, you know, swinging, like married couples having sex with other people and open marriages where, yeah, your husband or your wife can go out and sleep with people without you there. And polyamory, where it's not just about sex, it's actually about love and all of this stuff. Um, Why is it that it is still so very frowned upon? I mean, it is not an open issue, is it? Right. I mean, that's probably the the polyamory issue uh, and the open and swinging issue is that's a new frontier. I mean, I I don't uh, I don't know. You know, the Christian church, honestly, is still just beginning to wrestle with the the uh, homosexuality uh, and trans uh, conversation. And again, slowly coming along and not doing uh, very well in that area. And I I just want to say I got to say this before we move on to the the deeper into the polyamory conversation. But for my Christian friends who do wrestle with this idea of whether or not it's okay to be gay or whether, you know, uh, being trans or something like that, um, I have to point out, and, and this gets me into trouble, but I'm just, I have to be honest about this. And this is, a, this is, the, this is documented. You can verify it. It's not my opinion. The, there are no English translations of the scriptures that contain the word homosexual until 1946. Hmm. So this idea that, again, the problem is that we have Christians today who have a Bible in their possession. They're able to flip it open and put their finger on a verse and say, right here, the Bible condemns homosexuality. There it is. I can read it to you. You're right. It does say that in your English translation, but it didn't say that until 1946, which means it got changed. And it did not get changed because there was some better scholarship or better understanding of, well, what does that word actually mean? It literally was just arbitrarily changed to, to, uh, well, specifically to just attack people who are homosexual. Before 1946, and you go back to the King James, which was translated, you know, a long before that. And when it comes to those same verses in the in the Bible, it doesn't say homosexuals. It'll say um, someone who practices pedophilia. So it's mm-hmm. a condemnation of pedophilia. It's not a condemnation of homosexuality. And again, this is part of why it's so difficult for uh, and confusing for Christians to have a conversation about that kind of topic because – we, our own Bibles aren't being honest with us. And then we have churches then using that and weaponizing that to convince us that, well, the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't say that. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of what we, we're going to talk about, we're going to see and recognize is that for many Christians, the Bible is the problem. We are, we are so biblically focused, I think, that we can't back up and see, is this something, what would Jesus think about it? And that's a different conversation. Here is a question from a follower on Twitter. And it's what guides you in your Christianity, the Bible or your church? And I think that goes to talking about what you just said. Right. Exactly. Um, it's u- using, right, using the written word, the Bible, to guide you, you know, on your journey. Um, right. I think some people actually do it very well. I've heard a lot of speakers talk about it. It makes a lot of sense to me. And then I've, I've heard other people point to stuff and apply it to their beliefs as proof, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm, not, I'm not one to, to talk because I'm not Christian. Right. But I just find it very hypocritical that if you're teaching love and being inclusive and not hurting people— mm-hmm. That if you've got two consenting adults yep. who want to do things and it's with everyone's consent and they're not hurting anybody, right? why shouldn't they do that without the guilt right. uh, that they feel from, from their you know, Christian upbringing? Right. Now, how, exactly. do they, how do they get around that, Keith? I mean, 
Yeah. Well, you know, why Why do you have to leave the church? You don't have to leave the church, right? You, yeah. Well, you may have to leave a particular church if you if you attend a particular church that is very condemning and is, is heaping shame and guilt upon you, which, by the way, it's hard to find a Christian church that isn't doing that. That's one of the <laughs> that's one of the main things the Christian church uses to control people and manipulate them, I'm sorry to say. And the Bible, unfortunately, helps with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you don't have to leave your faith. Let's just put it this way. You don't have to, uh. you don't have to leave God behind. You don't have to leave Jesus behind. Uh, this is what I encourage people all the time, but because with the Bible, here's what we need to understand. And this is going to be sound controversial to some, especially to some Christians, but I just, I want us to understand this. Even as Christians, we, we, we have to admit this. God didn't write the Bible. We did. Mm-hmm. People wrote the Bible. And and they said, God said. But again, they said that in the context of how they understood God in a, in a culture in the Middle East 4,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that what they said wasn't valuable, that there's no wisdom there for us. There is. But we have to recognize that, again, we don't worship. We shouldn't. We don't worship a book. We're In fact, that book, if, if it does anything, is points us to a connection and a relationship with God that is real and active and vibrant in our actual life. So as, as an analogy, the Bible is a map. It's not the treasure. And many Christians today treat the Bible as if it's the treasure, hmm. but it's not. It's pointing us to the treasure. The treasure is, again, a connection with God, a connection with Christ that is real and living and vibrant, that I can hear his voice. I can connect with him. I can hear from him. It's a spiritual, mystical experience. That's what the Bible points us to. It's a menu. The purpose of the menu is so that you can enjoy a really good meal. But if you start trying to eat that menu, <laughs> you start trying to tell <laughs> that the menu is the meal, you, it's not very nutritious. It's not going to help you. Now you're talking to my language when you're talking food here. Oh, Keith. you are, you are, man, you kill me on your post. <laughs> the food you post, like, oh my gosh. It's good uh, uh, this is what I love about you because I love that message. Hmm. And I love it even more when I know that you don't, quotation, air quotation marks here, you don't get polyamory, right? You don't, Yeah. you don't understand. Now you and your wife, Wendy, have been married how long? Uh, it'll be 31 years in, uh, in October. That's yeah, a long time. Yeah. And I have a friend, um, I won't say his name, but uh, I have a good friend um, who is a follower of Jesus. I love him, respect him. And I've even quoted him in my book several times. I, I love him so much and respect him so much. Um, but he and his wife have a polyamory relationship. Uh, and uh, so he invited other people into their loving marriage. Again, I love him and respect him, but I don't understand it. Uh, I, I don't get it, <laughs> but I don't reject my friend. It's one of these things where uh, they're not hurting anyone else. Uh, it, it, he and his wife are in agreement on this decision. This is what they want to do in their marriage. They they maintain that it's been wonderful for their relationship. Um, and so, again, I don't understand it, but I'm not going to condemn it. It sounds great to be able to say, find another church if you feel like your church would condemn you for your choices. That's easy to say. Not easy to do. Right. Because if you think about the investment that people put in their church, and I'm not talking financial, I'm talking about, you mm. know, maybe growing up and with the same congregation and knowing and having close friends. Yes. Um, it's it's not easy to then just leave. What advice would you give to people who don't want to leave the congregation, don't want to leave the friends and, and whoever they're close to, but at the same time want to feel okay 
about the lifestyle that they live and yeah. want to continue on their journey in Christianity. Right. Well, yes, this is something I run into quite a bit. Um, people who, um, either because of changes in their theology or the ways that they believe uh, about God or the Bible, et cetera, or even like we're saying here on this, uh, maybe their their sexuality, that they end up in a conflict with the church that they grew up in or the church home that they have right now. Uh, quite often, those don't work out, um, I'm sad to say. Uh, it's very rare that once that becomes public uh, and there becomes an argument or disagreement with the pastor or the leader of that church, it usually ends with the person either being asked to leave or just being so uncomfortable that they just feel like, I, I can't continue to be a part of this fellowship anymore. And it's very painful. Uh, and I sympathize with that. Uh, again, I, I, what I do, what I've been doing, I, I have a couple of responses to that. So one of them is, I think on one level, if, you've, if that's happened to you or if it's in the process of happening to you, um, to recognize that it's possible to create a new community. I think we are people that are wired for community. We need other people, uh, even in our spiritual development and growth. And so it's possible, and I would encourage you to do this, to find other people who have a spirituality, have a connection with God that, that's similar to your own, but where um, where unity in that fellowship, in that in that group, isn't based on agreement on everything, but is simply based on Loving, learning to love one another. I mean, essentially, we can boil Jesus' teachings down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can find a, uh, and maybe you have to create a community like that. I mean, I've helped people create small groups um, that that meet in homes, uh, and you know, it's five or ten people, but they agree on those things. They agree on the two main things they want to do with their life. They want to learn how to love God and learn learn to be receive love from God. And they want to learn how to love one another and receive love from one another and in a genuine friendships and you know connections. And I think that's possible. I've seen it happen. Again, I've helped people to do that. That's one of the main things I would say. Uh, and then just real quickly, if someone has specific struggles, I mean, this is really hard for you. You're in isolation. You don't know anybody in your zip code who feels this way and thinks this way, and you really need help with that. I actually have a course called Square One which I've been, it's a 90 day course. I've been helping people, dozens of people go through step-by-step step, uh, over a 90 day period where I walk with you through this whole process. Uh, and I connect you with other people online who are just like you or going through similar things you're going through. And it's been wonderful. I mean, I, it's been one of the most life-giving things I've done in the last few years. It's just been amazing. So I would invite people if they're curious about that to look into that as well. Nice. All right. I, I want to explore this, um, this thing where you don't get polyamory. Okay. I'm sure you've heard the arguments or the uh, explanations, right? It's like, you have children, right? Right. You love them equally. Yes. And when I'm saying equally, I'm not talking more or less. It's just that you, and, and everyone loves people differently. Yes? Right. right. Of course. Yes. What is it about a romantic love that you don't believe you can love more than one person? Right. I mean, I would, I totally acknowledge and agree with the idea that, yes, of course, it's possible to love. Uh, and I do love, I mean, it's not as if there aren't any, I don't have any female friends that I dearly love, but I love them in a sort of a sisterly way. Um, now, again, this is who I am and how I'm wired. Uh, and so for me, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I experience wonderful loving relationships with, with male and female friends of mine. 
Um, and I loved them dearly. Again, like someone in my own family, I would die for them. I would do anything I could to help them. Um, it just not, it, it's not something that is expressed in a, you know, a physical, sexual way. Polyamory needs to be something before a couple enters into it that both couples really, truly are okay with it. And it's something they both want. I think if one member, uh, one spouse really, really wants it and the other one just sort of going along with it to please their spouse, I think then it's probably not going to work long term. I think both sides need to be really into it because if you're not, obviously there's going to be some resentment. There's going to be jealousy. It's going to end up dissolving the marriage, I, I think. That'd be my concern anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just urge uh, married couples before they get into something like that, again, talk about it a lot. But really unpack it before you do it. Make sure, truly, honestly, both sides are really okay. And not just okay, but like really excited about it. Like, you know what? This sounds amazing. Let's really do this. So that's polyamory. And and I actually think that it is probably easier to make the argument in Christianity that there's love there. Right. There's, there's emotion. There's caring. There's, you know, making sure that everyone's okay. How about the other stuff? How about the, you know, the wife swapping, the swinging, the stuff that is just purely physical, sexual stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that people who do that also have a big problem with being authentic and still being a Christian. Yeah. Well, there's sort of two things I guess we could address. One of them is, can you do those things and still maintain your faith when I would say it's just a connection with God and a, or a connection with Christ. I would say absolutely. Uh, and I, I would encourage people um, when they have anything, whether it's theological or maybe in, in, the, in this case, sort of different practices that they're involved in, um, when they recognize that, well, my my pastor wouldn't be happy, my priest wouldn't be happy with this. My my uh, I've been told that the Bible condemns everything that I'm, who, either who I am in my identity or in the ways that I'm be, wanting to behave. Um, to recognize that, like the church isn't God, the Bible isn't God, right? So if you if you feel rejected by those things, the, the the scriptures or by God or by your church, that doesn't mean you're rejected by God. Uh, I would just want to put that out there. And so mm-hmm. people often have that reaction. They feel like, well, if my church rejects it, then it's all or nothing. If I'm going to do something that my church condemns or doesn't like, then I have to just throw it all out. I can't. I can't be a Christian. I can't have a relationship with God. And I would say that is not true. You can leave a church, but you've left a organization. You have not left God. God hasn't left you. Put it that way. After hearing you talk about your views on this, um, I would love people to be able to find you, you know, read your work and, and maybe get in contact with you. Also, I think that there may be some like Christian swingers out there. I don't put it past anybody and I'm going to find them and I'm going to get them on the show. Uh, but in the meantime, how do people find Keith Giles? Oh, yeah. So um, I, I have a blog over on Patheos and I blog pretty regularly and you can find that. It's just my name, KeithGiles.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and I'm very active in both of those platforms. And uh, my podcast is the Heretic Happy Hour. You can find that on anywhere, as I said, podcasts are available. Uh, my books in the Jesus Un series, those are all available on Amazon, uh, print, Kindle and audio. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear anybody who has any questions or follow up. Um, I'm happy to interact with people. One thing about his podcast, when you look it up, you might see that it is explicit. And then you look at the, <laughs> and then you're what? It's like, 
You're talking about Christianity and it's marked explicit. I'm not even going to tell you why. I think you just need to click on it and listen, and you will find out why. I think it's incredibly refreshing. I love that you have more than one host. I love that you disagree with each other. And I also love that you respect each other. And I I think at the end of the day, if you can disagree with someone and still show them respect, then you are a better person than most. And Keith Giles, you are one of those people. So thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor. Okay, so totally vanilla show, right? Like no one swore. No one described any sexual acts. Uh, Let's get things back to normal. Next time on Consenting Adults, successful husband and wife business owners locked down because of COVID do something no one would ever suspect. You went and created a Twitter account. What did you do with this Twitter account? We figured, you know, it's just something to look at, maybe be voyeurs, watch other people, see what they're doing. And then it didn't take very long at all before we were just creating and posting full-blown porn of ourselves. That's next time on Consenting Adults. Consenting Adults.